32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm, my name is Andrea. And this is United Ireland. And you've just caught some off mic introductions there from uh, us getting the podcast on the road. (laughs) She does mean business. Um, Now, we usually take a county, dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. Um, But that was BC, of course. These days, we're looking at issues or themes in a rapidly changing pandemic impacted country and give them a global context. And this episode is about QAnon. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. So stay tuned. Um, I hope all of you uh, Patreon supporters are enjoying the Sunday Soothe. As ever, it's a new month. Welcome to July as the year rapidly uh, runs through its months. We're past halfway. We're past halfway. Uh, And the thing that happens every month is that uh, some of our patrons accidentally drop off. Um, It can be due to people like changing their cards and stuff like that. So if you are a Patreon supporter um, and uh, you are not, just, just go to our Patreon page basically and check if you're still signed up because people can fall off accidentally. So do that for us. We love you. If you're listening and you're not a Patreon supporter, maybe you would uh, like to join us uh, for uh, starting at $3 or €3 Euro a month. Uh, you can help us make these podcasts and keep them going. We really appreciate your help. How are you feeling, Andrea? I'm feeling very good. Yeah, I um, My return to normal is in in the post and I'm very delighted about it. And I, not normal because I know we don't want to go back to normal, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I do. Coming back, I'm delighted. <laughs> Obviously, um, myself and yourself are in completely different headspaces regarding all of this. Uh, I am kind of remaining uh, outside of broader society for the foreseeable. Uh, I was uh, dancing my way into the city centre every day. We're like, what's open today? Oh, go on. Sat in the pepper pot uh, yesterday and had eggs and tea and it was delicious. And I'm creating a little list of where it's open for sitting down. The joy of just sitting down and eating. Oh my God, it's so lovely. Um, Trap Hop is open. Uh, yeah, all my favorite pl- little neighbors on St. William Street. It's just oh, so good. I love it. I'm just not doing any of this, obviously. Uh, I am remaining ensconced in my bunker. Um, and I was just thinking the other day, actually, uh, I've only been in into town, like walking around um, twice, I think, uh, since since um, lockdown began. Once was to Marks and Spencer. The other time was to meet a friend at, um, at Nine Crows on Mary Street in Dublin. And uh, that's it. And <laughs> I don't know, I, I guess this is kind of, it's not a divide, but I do think it is... Um, I think some people like yourself, Andrea, have the confidence and enthusiasm um, and obviously are, are, you know, I, I work from home always, you know, so so it's a different kind of thing. Like I don't have any particular like a workplace to go back to. Um, so and then there's people like me who uh, are still scared and worried Um, not scared and worried. I just I don't know. I, I feel like um, if if I can 
you know, keep apart from, you know, the, the, the reopening of things, I kind of will. I don't really have any interest in going to pubs. It kind of makes me nervous. Um, and I'm, I'm not really into the, the energy that's around, but I totally appreciate that this is maybe not the wi- wider disposition. No, um, totally. There is, I, we did a poll on our Instagram to see about reopening and how people felt and what measures we were going to put in place above and beyond the regulations. Um, and there's definitely um, differences of where people are at. There's like, some people are just ready to, to get out there. And like, I am ready to get out there, but not like, like fully obviously everything is masked inside and like it is a different world but there is um definitely people who are feeling a bit more caught a lot more cautious and um a bit more fearful and that's okay and like we were having our team meeting uh before we opened on tuesday and it was we were just talking about all the different types of clients that are going to come in and respecting where everyone is at because there's so many different iterations of where people are at right now. So yeah, we're honest. Yeah. I think as long as everybody respects everybody else's boundaries and, and where they're at and stuff and that that's, that's all grand and we can all navigate it in the way that we feel that's, that that's um, true to us or, you know, that doesn't, that we're happy with. I think um, that's kind of, that's kind of the way to do it. I suppose for me, when I'm kind of looking at, you know, I watch CNN every night to see the ongoing fall of America, uh, in real time. And, and when one of the things that was kind of confusing me was the what's happening in California. Like, so we know that the, um, cases are going up hugely in the States at the moment, um, partly due to places that hadn't really experienced that much of a quote unquote first wave um, opening back up. And obviously the rate of infections is, is re- rising at a terrifying rate. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was California. You know, they kind of locked down in and around the same time as we did, um, seemed to kind of have a handle on things. And, and, uh, and now the infections are going up. And I was just kind of thinking like, what happened? And then on CNN, there was this thing of like, where did California go wrong? And it basically seems to be that people just kind of got bored with distancing, with masks, with lockdown. They wanted to go back to the beaches, to the bars, to the restaurants, to shopping. And as a result, the infection rate is going up. And I guess for me, I just think, you know, the virus still exists, even though it's suppressed in the community with international travel opening up, you know, inevitably there are going to be more cases. And I don't know, people's contacts are increasing and you know, I think everybody is being as safe as they can. And some people, or not everybody, I think a lot of people are being as safe as they can. But then it's very evident. Like I was in Tesco yesterday and myself and my girlfriend were the only people in the shop wearing masks. And I'm just thinking like, obviously the uh, messaging around masks was quite confusing in Ireland. It's very plain to see that they should have said from the get-go, you know, when you're indoors, when there's people around, wear a mask. I was just kind of looking at that going, you know, I don't think this is going to... Uh, help but you know know there's definitely an incremental rise in mask wearage wearage is that a word um and also with the reopening of more places the mask usage i think is going to go up because more places Mm. are calling for um mandatory mask wearing so like all hairdressers all beauticians um yeah i think that sector is doing really well like i think that you know people get more used to wearing a mask because they know they have to have their mask for their appointments or whatever so that it's like 
then it becomes more of a habit to wear it, put it on whenever you're going inside. I, like I definitely have no, a lot of the time I'd be going out and sometimes I forgot my mask, but I, I'm much more cognizant of making sure I have my mask for any situation where I have to go inside now, whereas I wasn't before. So I, and that's because we have, you have to wear it going into businesses and whatever. So I definitely think we're going to see a rise in mask wearing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not like locking myself away. I was at a friend's barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a friend's barbecue outdoors on Saturday for Pride and people were physically distancing as much as possible, even though it was rainy. There was like a little gazebo up and you could kind of stand outside and and that made me feel a little, you know, more comfortable. Oh yeah, you can like socialize in these contacts, but the thoughts of like being around drunk people in or outside a pub um, where people just kind of get messy or don't have the same boundaries or just like, you know, guffawing and slapping each other in the back and stuff like that. I'm like, I I just can't be around that. It makes me feel nervous. Anyway, <laughs> enough about my general uh, cautious risk averse nature. Um, and what is, or let's go to the state of the nation. Andrea, what's the state of the nation? The state of the nation is we have a new government. So just when we were recording uh, last week's one, the government, uh, the white smoke rose from the Green Party and in they trod to the new Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael uh, trifecta. And uh, so we've spent the week having the announcement of the ministers and then the junior ministers yesterday. There was two ministers who... uh, declined their positions um, to build up uh, their party. Um, and some are calling it a leadership grab. Um, potentially. Well, Jim O'Callaghan is just like absolutely raging that he's not Minister for Justice, it seems. And then he was offered a junior ministry and it's like, no, I'm just going to go over here and play with this. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally projecting. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, that's not his position, but he sure did seem like he wanted a senior ministry. We talk about this all the time and I see the human in politics a lot. And it like, I feel really sad when people like lose their positions or like, even though they're, some of them might be skanks, but <laughs> is that a political term? That's yeah. really the human position, I think, uh, Andrea, to take. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them may have done skank activities during their tenure, but then when you see like there's they're still like losing their job. I just don't ha- know how people have the the dur- ability to w- work in politics. Like it's just so must be a, a, an emotional roller coaster. Um, and then imagine if you were a senior minister and then being given a junior minister, I'd be like your grant, whatever. <laughs> but that's like. Well, one person who did get a junior ministry is our friend, Jack Chambers, who is now in charge or has the responsibility for financial institutions, which I just feel that at a time when there's going to be massive global economic collapse and Ireland having this like 20 something billion deficit already, uh, I don't know. You know, I just don't know how that's going to pan out. I think one of the interesting things about the Fianna Fáil ministers and the, obviously there's a gender balance issue at, at the cabinet, uh, what's new, is that, you know, the Fianna Fáil politicians that are elected, you know, these they're not exactly like bright shining stars of, you know, um, 
dynamism and uh, innovative thought and creativity. So you can't, they, but, but, you know, people still have to get jobs divvied out. And uh, here we are. Can we go back to Jack Chambers, right? Mm-hmm. I just, like, obviously, if he's, he's on the rise and somebody wants him to be rising, what are his good points? <laughs> like, how is he getting these positions? Like, he's an absolute dose of hunters. Uh, that's a matter of opinion. Um, I, th- I don't know. I mean, I think that there's an issue with um, the kinds of people who run for politics, you know, and, and you can give like give out about these kind of carbon copies of very old school politicians. But unless people who are very different to that run, then that's what's there. I think that... Um, there was kind of a narrative of like, he did really well in, you know, the programme for government negotiations. And it's like, really? Because it didn't really seem that Fianna Fáil were very invested in that bar. Like, can we now be in government again, please? Uh, was seemed to be their main vibe. Um, Michal, I think with... Taoiseach. Yeah, I mean, I think when, when there's like, you can just impose these kind of things. It's like the Owen Murphy thing, you know, oh, this is somebody who's relatively young, um, obviously in Owen Murphy's case, which is very different to Jack Chambers, like Owen Murphy has a particular kind of um, way of communicating that can superficially seem impressive um, and, you know, looks the part and whatever. Uh, so give this guy, you know, make this guy Minister for Housing. I guess in Jack Chambers' case, we know that as a communicator, he's very antagonistic, um, very adversarial. Patronizing. Uh, patronizing and has points of view like not wanting women to have bodily autonomy that are very out of step with the Irish mainstream but I guess Fianna Fáil is not exactly a bastion of bright young things. And uh, a lot of issues I suppose with an anti-choice rhetoric getting ministerial positions when the three-year review is due. Yeah but that's also who Fian- that's what Fianna Fáil is. I mean they're you know conservative uh, Catholic legacy, um, you know, the the main bunch of people who were opposed vocally to uh, repealing the eighth were Fianna Fáil politicians, you know, in, in the political, in the party political space, once you leave out Renewa and, you know, <laughs> they do a good job of that themselves. But, <laughs> you know, and, and certain kind of independent uh folks who who that's their whole thing you know like people like Ronan Mullen whose entire thing is like okay I'm gonna I'm just this like fundamentalist Catholic voice so yeah I mean that's what Fianna Fáil is so that's what you're going to get you know so anyway we'll see how it pans out uh you know let's just let's just see what happens one of the good uh, really great appointments was Eileen Flynn um became a senator and and that's just really fantastic she's an amazing voice, amazing representative, amazing speaker. It's so important to have um, somebody from who is a traveler, is from the traveling community, um, dominant in in politics. Uh, so that's just really, really fantastic. And of course, in all of myself and Andrea's discussions about the importance of the arts and culture we then, and, and the lip service that is given to that, we then have um, Catherine Martin, who, who I was interested to see her become a minister in this department, department's um, because traditionally um, ministers for arts and culture are, are more, I suppose, like emerging or low level people. She's obviously much more high profile. 
Um, but the department with media, culture, arts, tourism, sport and the Gaeltacht, even though there will be a junior minister for, I think, sport and the Gaeltacht there is, is just goes to show again, like, you know, arts and culture being That's sidelined. Brilliant. Where is where is heritage gone? And why don't we have a standalone cultural ministry? What Miriam Lord said something about that. Uh, what was it again? It's the best quote. In the end, three coaches sufficed. Two for the ministers and one to accommodate Catherine Martin's job title. <laughs> Gold. What is happening in music this week? Music. Uh, Irish Women in Harmony, who uh, released their single Dreams um, for Safe Ireland in, to raise money, um, were the first female act to break the overall top 20 chart in Ireland. The first Irish female act in over 10 years. And they were the first female act to get a number one on the Irish homegrown chart ever. And I don't say this very often, but that's bananas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meanwhile, uh, Ryanair... basically people who want who make money from planes want planes uh, to be making money again in a shock development um what's going on with Ryanair there's plenty of guff coming out of them about how Ireland is way out of step and we need flights back even though as we know international travel is what spread covid-19 in the first place they are literally the biggest like not I wouldn't say pure but they are just so good at keeping their name in the news aren't they like it's literally mm-hmm. like let's just be con- controversial and come out with all this shit and like we need to get rid of anything that makes uh, Ireland safe from COVID and one of the quotes on their interview on uh, the radio yesterday was like Ireland is not going to be some COVID free Tiernanog uh, why not I'd love a little cute Tiernanog the land of the youth gives not that I'm ageist but like I'd love to not have back pain. It's um, a classic, classic tension between the whole like people who are like, it doesn't matter. We just need to eat, you know, open up the economy again. Obviously, no, we know that economic devastation is also not healthy. Um, and and people who are just saying, well, actually, all of the public health advice and all of the scientific advice, you know, is not very compatible with, with that money. kind of <laughs> rhetoric. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, there's more, the, 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 government is going to come out with this kind of list of countries and air bridges and stuff, even though the overall advice is not to travel. Uh, Oh, we skipped over a really other great political development. Hazel Chew has been elected Lord Mayor um, of Dublin. Well done, Hazel. That's a great appointment. And I really enjoyed her red high tops she wore Mm -hmm. at the uh, announcement as well. And she's one of only eight women from 352 who've been Lord Mayor which is also bananas. Two very important news stories this week, Una, uh, coming right at you from Andrea Horan here, is Micheál Martin's son has become Ireland's latest heartthrob. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> like, he's, it's literally like there, there was clicks and newscasts about Micheál Martin's son and the ride he is, which is absolutely gas. Um, and then finally... We also apologise to objectifying men in, the, in this manner. It is not helpful at all. Well, it's not objectifying him. He was seen as a heartthrob. Okay. Is that objectifying? Mm, maybe. Mm. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Uh, finally, Dustin the Turkey was attacked by Niall Horan stands in the US following um, the comic relief piece. Uh, they literally came for Dustin the Turkey and uh, the Dan. Um, so you have to, you have to like wonder 
Do Niall Horan's fans know anything about Ireland? Clearly, the fact is no. And now it's the Corona Correction. So this week's Corona Correction is kind of a bit of an abstract one, but it's one that I've kind of been following. I don't know if you read that article from ages ago in The Guardian about um, what happened to the real Lord of the Flies. You know, obviously the Lord of the Flies book is about, you know, when young people are left to their own devices, it all goes to shit and everybody attacks each other. And then, you know, everybody watches the beach and go, we can't have utopias. Uh, But I think that there's been also been other stories about how, people are inherently good and, you know, actually don't fall to shit. And anyway, this article in The Guardian was about a real life situation where a bunch of um, young people ended up on an island themselves. And instead of just forming some like crazy, um, you know, horrible tribe, they actually all did work together. But there's a new study out uh, that I was reading uh, in this journal, Science Advances, and it's basically uh, that people... Uh, try to do right by each other, uh, contrary to our uh, constant narratives that, you know, people are actually terrible and, you know, everybody's going to fuck each other over forever. And uh, the study um, is called uh, The Robustness of um, Reciprocity. as we all know from Lauren Hill's uh, Get the Reciprocity. When you know when you're a kid, you're like, what is that word? Anyway, the robustness of reciprocity, experimental evidence that each form of reciprocity is robust to the presence of other forms of reciprocity. Basically, this is all about pro-social behavior and that even if someone's own kind of welfare or whatever, um, that there may be a cost to one's welfare to benefit others, people actually do it. And uh, so ultimately, we do have a good basis for reciprocity, for pro-social behavior, for empathy, for people doing right by each other. And that maybe if we didn't have all of these interventions that, um, you know, bolster individualism and make people competitive, that that would shine through. So that's my... Here's a question for you. And when did we decide that the news was just going to be bad news? Like, why did we not start reporting on good news? And maybe that we just don't get to hear about all the good stuff that people are doing because only we decided to report on the bad stuff. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, I think there's loads of stuff to unpack with that, but I guess that's why we, we, sometimes try to bring a little bit of light to people's lives. That's kind of not what we're doing on this episode, though. This episode is about QAnon. We're going to have a chat about it and then a discussion with a very interesting expert on this subject. So let's get on to QAnon. So this episode is about QAnon um, and it was Andrea's suggestion, I think kind of prompted by uh, the conversation with Sarah Kenzier last week. Yeah, I was listening to your interview, which was very interesting. Thank you very much. But at the end, uh, just a little nod to QAnon was thrown in there. It was like, blah, blah. And I was like, what the hell is QAnon? So off I went on my toodles and had a little Google around the internet and then discovered this absolutely bananas shenanigans going on under the QAnon uh, nom. And then from what I could decipher, obviously loads of banana shit is under its umbrella. 
but it feels like it's an umbrella. It's like the number one conspiracy brand that's taken all the other conspiracy brands and red pills and all these movements into one big marketable force. I think that's a really good um, summation of what's happening, um, particularly around the branding part of it, uh, the idea of being part of a community and also even the um, merchandising of it um, as people see, uh, you know, people in queue t-shirts turn up to Trump rallies and and all of that kind of stuff. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a little explainer about QAnon for people um, who may have heard of it, but don't really know what's going on with this. And uh, then we're going to be talking to an uh, expert on this, Eva Gallagher, who's a really great Irish woman who works in this space. So I've been kind of looking at QAnon stuff since, I guess, late 2017. Always the early um, adopter. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I, I, I think I'm just kind of interested in how these things emerge, uh, particularly when um, one of the uh, mechanisms of extremism is for people to ignore it uh, or discredit it without engaging with it um, and without those kind of earlier interventions being in place. Um, The role of media either amplifying this or um, in in a destructive way or not tackling it um, and how that fosters it and my question to Sarah Kenzier was this hypothesis I have that maybe may not be true, but just examining in what's happening in America and the fragmentation of shared media, obviously a culture of conspiracy um, going, you know, as far back as whatever you can think of. You know, we can talk about Roswell and, you know, JFK and all that kind of stuff and just a general distrust in institutions and sometimes a mistrust of in- institutions is really healthy because you're interrogating what's going on behind the scenes or who's actually in power and who's pulling the strings and all those kind of things and how that can then tip over into something that is very destructive. Um, so I guess it it kind of starts out with Pizzagate, you know, a thing that people may be familiar with that emerged from uh, the WikiLeaks kind of leak of, of emails uh, around, in and around like Hillary Clinton's kind of emerging campaign and uh, the emails between her and John Podesta and people kind of e- extrapolating a type of code from that. And one of the codes that they decided was that like the word pizza was mentioned a lot and this culminated in people thinking there was some kind of hidden message around uh, pizza and what that meant and made the very large leap uh, to deciding that this was actually about uh, a pedophile ring and uh, trafficking children and that this orientated around a specific restaurant in Washington, D.C. called Comet Ping Pong, which led to somebody actually turning up there with a gun trying to liberate these children from a basement to basement that did not exist. And obviously all of the the Pizzagate thing is, is completely wild and totally fabricated. But it began a, a, a trickle of uh, conversations around the, all of these kind of folding in of things that we know, like or that we know are said in media um, that don't really have any any basis, like stuff about like globalism, uh, George Soros, um, you know, deep state. A lot of this stuff chimes with previous um, conspiracies in and that are uh, you know founded in anti-Semitism. 
Um, people may remember, you know, in the kind of 80s and 90s, like David Icke and his, you know, the world is controlled by people who are actually giant lizards and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and those conspiracies existed on the fringe, I guess, until the internet came along and, and people began filtering their uh, media uh, landscapes into very specific things. And this is aided by how social media uh, has particular algorithms that nudge you towards wanting to spend more time on their website. So if we look at stuff like YouTube and its recommendations and how people can go from looking at stuff about you know, from Jordan Peterson, then they end up in the Proud Boys stuff, then, you know, further and further down into this rabbit hole and very well uh, documented in a recent podcast called Rabbit Hole uh, from the New York, from the New York Times. So I guess it also kind of intersects with more contemporary conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists uh, led by people like Alex Jones uh, from Infowars um, and uh you know, he had all these conspiracies about like the Sandy Hook massacre and how that was a hoax and just generally like pumping all this crazy disinformation into an ecosystem in a way that was compelling. And then in October 27 or, tw- or 2017, a post appeared on 4chan, which is an uh, internet message board from a user calling themselves Q, who started talking about um, Trump and kind of birthed the QAnon conspiracy. So um, to kind of, uh, so it was all kind of stuff about deep state and how Trump is actually the protector of this broader kind of military deep state conspiracy and this reckoning is coming. It was very vague and it folds in all this stuff around like apocalyptic thinking. Worm is coming. Yeah, and it, and it, and it also preys on as something that is very real, which is people f- feeling very, very left behind in society, that their futures have been taken away. A lot of it goes back to the last crash of uh, 2008, particularly in America, where people's you know, livelihoods, homes, jobs, financial security and futures um, were kind of just erased by the uh, massive financial uh, collapse. So um, when people look for answers, when they have a lot of time on their hands, when they feel like the system is rigged, conspiracy can flourish. I'm just going to read a quote by a really great Atlantic article um, by Adrian Adrienne LaFrance, which is well worth a read on uh, QAnon. I think it was published in maybe May of this year. And so it it says... Quote, in its broadest contours, the QAnon belief system looks something like this. Q is an intelligence or military insider with proof that corrupt world leaders are secretly torturing children all over the world. The malefactors are embedded in the deep state. Donald Trump is working tirelessly to thwart them. This, uh, the eventual destruction of the global cabal is imminent, Q prophesizes, but can only be accomplished uh, with the support of patriots who search for meaning in Q's clues. To believe Q requires rejecting mainstream institutions, ignoring government officials, battling apostates and despising the press. One of Q's favourite rallying cries is, you are the news now. Another is, enjoy the show, a phrase that his disciples regard as a reference to the coming apocalypse. When the world as we know it comes to an end, everyone's a spectator. So the key phrases uh, that you may or may hear in the Q universe are uh, the Great Awakening, where we go one, we go all. The calm before the storm, which was something that Donald Trump uh, said previously. 
deep state um, black hat, which is, you know, a nefarious actor who's one of the people kind of pulling the strings uh, behind all of this. And as you say, Andrea, it also folds in like red red pill theories uh, and all that kind of stuff. That's so the where, community where where we go one we go all mean like we're all in so that together. yeah so that's kind of like a community rallying cry um that is designed to uh kind of pull people together into this conspiracy so that yeah it's kind of like we're all in this together um and that uh it's it's kind of like a community ties philosophy um. Yeah, so the, so so that's Break often abbreviated. Yeah, exactly, and that's often abbreviated to um, WWG one WGA. So you might see that hashtag and and stuff around, or bumper sticker, or whatever. So like, this community grows across the internet. People are looking for answers. Uh, people are spending a lot of time online. People are nudged by different algorithms. When Facebook altered its algorithms to move the focus away from uh like random news news sources uh, they put the focus back on facebook groups um thinking that this would have a good impact um but actually it it ended kind of ended up having the opposite um actually in particular uh in france with regards to the the gilets jaunes the yellow vest movement stuff like that so obviously social media plays a huge role in it too and also this sense of belonging um, and, and what's interesting about the QAnon quote unquote community is that it doesn't necessarily look like other extreme internet communities that we've seen emerge uh, that are often, well, fundamentally, I suppose, rooted in uh, very young male um, communities online who are very au fait with the kind of irreverent trolling, meme type internet discourse that emerged at the genesis of the internet. And it actually more so skews a little bit older. And I don't know whether or not it skews female, but certainly it's not just a male conspiracy space. Um, a lot of people will may have seen the clip recently of uh, a kind of a town hall meeting in Florida and a lot of women were taking the mic and saying this really inflammatory stuff and people were like, God, these people are totally crazy. But actually what they were espousing was very QAnon type stuff. So um, after this kind of grows and takes hold, you begin to see people in Q t-shirts at Trump rallies, um, even people working for the American state like um, certain military uh, people like having Q pins. Um, people start to run uh, for public office um, and, and that's kind of ongoing in the, in the States. And whereas it was kind of, as I was saying, like maybe skewing a bit older, uh, what has been noticed by people who monitor this kind of stuff over the last few months is how it's kind of also now coming into TikTok. So, where obviously TikTok is a super young uh, user base and it does seem that like the Pizzagate conspiracy theory has become kind of a gateway for much younger uh, people like uh, mid to late teens taking it on and and kind of going down that rabbit hole as well. Like all um, these kind of very cultish like um, communities, there's also lots of stories emerging about people becoming very radicalized who previously would not have been, you know, into this kind of stuff at all. And 
fundamentally believing all of this kind of stuff and people losing, essentially losing their family members to it and losing their friends. Um, and that's like a really worrying thing. Also really difficult to combat. You know, it's kind of like the Scientology thing. You know, a lot of cults or cult-like structures have this, uh, you know, double bind in terms of combating them where one part of the narrative is like, you're being lied to, uh, you know, the media is not covering this thing. You know, everything that everyone tells, everyone's, uh, everyone else says is wrong. So when you try and combat it, the response is like, oh yeah, well you would say that. And that, that becomes part of the conspiracy itself. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I guess more broadly and more socially, it, it does intersect with uh, mistrust or distrust in media, in institutions, it has also a strange evangelical Christian undercurrent alter insect alter also intersects with Trump supporters, Trump's base, which as we know is kind of almost cultish itself. Like he can say the craziest things and people just get on board with it. Um, with those social media algorithms. Um, and with this fragmentation of media uh, that has occurred over the last 20 years, in particular, quite particular to Ireland, but also elsewhere around the world um, and the UK, I suppose would be a good example of that, where kind of media figures are created that are an evolution of the kind of shock jock format or a preacher talk, talk radio or like massive YouTubers and conspiracy theorists like Alex Jones, for example. Would Candace Owens be one of them? I mean, no, I think that, that no, like, no, it's more like the culture that brings... Um, figures that hold a lot of power in media um, that that it births those kind of figures. So you lose editorial control. There's a huge amount of bias. Um, there's a lot, also an awful lot of ego, even the kind of idea of like following people, like people really weigh in behind certain podcasts or certain YouTube channels. And that person then holds an incredible amount of power and they can basically like ultimately kind of say whatever they want, particularly in the US where, you know, defamation laws and all that kind of stuff are, are very weak because of the, 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 you know, the freedom of speech kind of uh, vibe um, culturally and constitutionally. So like there is kind of very much an evolution of that. And I suppose when we look at over at American media, you know, if you're ever somewhere random in America and you turn on the radio and it's like, wild like evangelical christian stuff or total shock jock stuff we don't really have a culture of that in ireland i suppose because we do have a relatively share, uh, healthy shared media although you know younger people are are really kind of getting most of their uh, information from social media these days but like that kind of um emergence of figureheads then birthing communities and if those figureheads have a lot of conspiratorial thought or really wild opinions, you get these clusters of communities that become very embedded in that thought. And that can cross everything from certain like religious stuff to like um, anti-feminist um, kind of cohorts, be that Pride Boys or Jordan Peterson's followers or, um, you know, uh, like, or it can kind of fold into like the MAGA Trump cult and all that kind of stuff. So I think as well, because there is such a culture of um, conspiracy and looking for answers in, in the US about various historical events, like 
9-11 conspiracies and, and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, I even remember when I was like a teenager reading this book, The Bible Code, which like purported to have all of these like um, Nostradamus type predictions about the end of the world and uh, written in the Bible and they're highlighting all these things almost like uh, word search clues or whatever. So there is this search for answers and obviously the internet foundationally as a, a kind of um, place where information is held often goes unchecked and conspiracy really flourishes. I mean, you only have to, if you like go watch, for example, a random 9-11 conspiracy video on YouTube, you will end up in like multiple, multiple conspiracy land. Um, and then I think the other thing is that something that Sarah Kenzier said um, last week that the greatest tool for like steering people away from this stuff is just telling the truth because there can often be a kernel of truth in these kind of things like corruption is real. Um, Pedophile rings are real. Uh, You know, the Jeffrey Epstein uh, story was a massive QAnon uh, point of conversation um, you know, controlling forces and this idea that like the system is rigged, you know, they can feel real and QAnon preys on all of that. What do you think about that, Andrea? I just think it's so terrifying that people can get sucked into this and like I've seen it firsthand and it completely controls their thoughts. But I think the thing is that it is based in truths and um, that you can't refute that those things happen, but they're um, they're blown up so much into this fake me against the world type of vibe that you just feel like you are you are being the savior, and like obviously everyone else is so idiotic that they don't see this. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think that's kind of it's it's very sad, and the togetherness you're searching for in uncovering all these secrets and way the world is being run is actually taking away your your humanity and your way of life and your interactions with humans so that you're left with only this random train of thought and collusion. I yeah, I mean that's that's the sadness of it and how difficult it is to combat that then. So to discuss this further, we're going to go deeper into uh, the... Not the deep state. Not the deep state. Uh, Deeper into this um, rather kind of scary development. It's bubbling along without it really being addressed and it is spreading. Um, And so we're going to talk to an expert now who monitors all of this kind of crack. Aoife Gallagher is an analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, which is a global organization working on solutions to combat extremism and polarization. Uh, Aoife specializes in disinformation, extremism and hate, uh, previously worked uh, at investigations at Storyful. And we're delighted uh, to have her on the pod. Hey, Aoife. Hello. How are you? Good. So we're talking all things Q and QAnon. Um, I suppose for a lot of people, it's always been something maybe they might hear snatches about or that it's just been bubbling along in the media occasionally. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, because you work very much in in this zone, um, 
how did this as a conspiracy widen its reach into a community from your analysis? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the community was first formed on 4chan, which is like a, an anonymous image board on the fringes of the Internet. And it's pretty much where like the worst kind of conversations on the Internet take place. Um, and it very quickly went from there to mainstream platforms. So analysis has shown that it pretty much immediately like was, was seen on the likes of Twitter and Facebook. Um, so, I mean, over the years, so the past like two and a half years, pretty much since this has been a thing, the community are very dedicated and they've built a lot of resources. I mean, there are countless websites, there are films, there are apps, there are there are QAnon songs on Spotify. I mean, they've kind of gone into every kind of medium going um, and they're very dedicated to making the world like wake up to Q as such. So that's like one element of it. The other element I would say are the algorithms on the likes of Facebook and YouTube, which pretty much mean that if you if you dip your toe into the conspiracy pool at all, you're, you're going to be recommended um, like a video or a group about QAnon eventually. And then when you join one group or you watch one video, you'll keep getting recommended more. Um, so it's a good mixture of like effort and determination by the QAnon community and then that extra boost that social media platforms give to that kind of content. Generally, where do kind of followers of Q live on the internet like at the moment? I know that you're saying the, the reach into loads of the, you know, kind of different platforms that a lot of people would know and use all the time. But then like 8chan gets shut down and then there's 8kun and then like people talk about Gab and Discord and all that kind of stuff. Like where is the main activity happening and what are those platforms like generally? Mm, Well, I mean, at this stage, I think it would be pretty safe to say that on any platform online, you will find a QAnon community. Um, Probably like for you know, the general public, I would say that the the place that you'll find them would be in Facebook groups. And, you know, Facebook groups were kind of boosted on the Facebook algorithm maybe a year or so ago, which meant that people were being exposed to more groups again. Um, So definitely likely on Facebook, as I say, YouTube also plays a major role in QAnon. There are many people that dedicate pretty much their entire lives to making, you know, long videos about QAnon and deciphering the codes that go along with it. Um, so, I mean, again, those, those mainstream platforms are very much relevant, but you mentioned like places like Discord and, you know, Telegram groups and these kind of up and coming, you know, sites that a lot of people maybe wouldn't be as familiar with. Um, so you do pretty much find it everywhere. And then, you know, we've kind of seen in recent weeks as well that it has, it has also, you know, a appeared on TikTok. And that kind of shows like a bit of a change, certainly in demographics, because it's always kind of been something that's been more associated with an older population, not older as such, but kind of, you know, middle age, kind of maybe 50s, 60s. But now we're seeing that, you know, the the younger generation are also very susceptible to it. So, and it's also been spreading, you know, a lot more on Instagram in the past few months, which traditionally wasn't really a place for for QAnon followers. So at this stage, it pretty much is everywhere. And the kind of the main thing of QAnon is that it makes people feel connected to something important that other people probably don't know about yet. But what are some of the more bizarre offshoots from it? Mm. Well, I mean, most of it is is bizarre, um, <laughs> which is a pretty sweeping statement. So, I mean, kind of the 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 big point about QAnon is that you know the the world has been run by a, a group of global elite 
pedophiles pretty much that you know traffic children and then there's another kind of offshoot to that in in this this drug or it's a it's a compound that's produced by the adrenal gland and it's called adrenochrome so it was kind of referenced in a couple of things in the past it's referenced in hunter s thompson's fear and loathing as a hallucinogenic drug and um but you know apparently in real life this compound is actually not that exciting but QAnon followers believe that this elite cabal of, of pedophilic globalists are you know, harvesting adrenochrome from children's brains and drinking their bodily fluids to make them look younger. So, I mean, there's there's offshoots of it that are just so far-fetched and so crazy, but, you know, people do definitely subscribe to it. And, you know, other parts of it, I mean, they take like recent celebrity deaths, like the likes, the likes of Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington and people like that, that, you know, would have died by suicide. And they take their deaths and try and link them to the fact that they were, you know, supposedly killed because they were going to expose this elite ring of pedophiles. So, I mean, they kind of take bits from everywhere and like little bits of information and put them together. Pretty much two and two makes 105 to them. That's the way that they kind of take all these little pieces of information. So there's enough real life stuff in their stories to make it feel kind of believable to their followers, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And how does it intersect with the pandemic and 5G and all those other Mm. side stories? Yeah, well, I mean, the pandemic created you know, excuse the pun, a perfect storm, I suppose, for, for these kind of ideas to flourish. I mean, the backbone of QAnon is that, you know, its followers think that anyone who's part of a global institution, you know, the government itself, the media, like various NGOs, that no one in these bodies can be trusted and that everyone is part of some kind of a global scheme. So the fact that there was kind of, you know, around the world, a fairly uniform response by governments and the media to kind of how to deal with the pandemic, you know, the same information was being given up like in a lot of places about lockdowns, masks, social, social distancing and all the rest. So this kind of aligned view just created this kind of, you know, even more of an environment for conspiracies to flourish and for people to question why everything was so aligned. Um, And then, of course, on the fact that, you know, massive populations of the world were confined to their homes for weeks and months at a time, it meant that there was, you know, people were spending a lot more time online. And we have actually seen a massive uptick in in online conversations about QAnon, especially in the last couple of months. Um, And then kind of, you know, diving like into the, you know, the virus itself, you know, people like Bill Gates have always been a target for QAnon. You know, anyone that's kind of a, a rich, powerful, you know, you know, someone who has like philanthropic kind of, um, you know, duties in the world and stuff as well. So, you know, Bill Gates, as one of the richest men in the world and someone who's dedicated a lot of his time to tackling like vaccine inequality around the world, you know, he's become a prime candidate for QAnon conspiracies. So, you know, some of these will say that, you know, the virus was produced in a lab in Wuhan and that is part of a massive plan by Bill Gates to enforce mandatory vaccinations on the world and, you know, in some cases inject, you know, people with tracking devices. Um, so, I mean, that's one offshoot off it. The 5G thing, I mean, in my opinion, the 5G thing was like kind of stood on its own a little bit before coronavirus. And then it became part of the QAnon conspiracy as well. And again, those kind of, you know, those claims say that, you know, that 5G uh, radiation is actually what's causing the coronavirus or that the pandemic is a cover up for tech companies to install 5G cell towers all over the world. And it's part of a depopulation program. So there's loads of different little offshoots that kind of all feed into the, you know, the global response to the pandemic as well. It's just also mad, like, you know, the way you're kind of detailing all of these different conspiracies, obviously all of them are, are without foundation and it's just the folding in of um, 
any kind of, you know, wild thing that, that starts out on a message board or whatever into something uh, much bigger is kind of terrifying because when there's so many, like such a hall of mirrors, it then just becomes a maze and, and it's very difficult to combat it with, with truth or reason, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And one, I guess one of the things is um, a lot of the time when, when these kind of things uh are take hold, let's say, there's there's a narrative of like, oh, this is just like crazy people talking about it on the internet. And then we see it boomeranging back into real life. I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, how Pizzagate uh, came into into real life um, with the, the Comet Ping Pong attempted shooting type thing, but just how it's boomeranging back in, in terms of people who are uh, endorse the conspiracy theory or actually run on its platform running for office in America. Um, mm-hmm. What's happening with that? Because I guess when something leap fro- leaps from a, a digital space into a real one, uh, maybe it'll be something that people will take more notice of. Mm. Yeah, and certainly, as you mentioned, like there's there's over 50 candidates running for various political positions in the US this year that have conveyed some kind of support for QAnon which is just crazy. Like I remember back in 2018 when, you know, the first time a QAnon supporter or QAnon supporters were seen at Trump rallies. I remember thinking, my God, that's crazy. And now we have people running for office that are subscribing to these beliefs. And I mean, even in Georgia, you know, last week or the week before, whenever, you know, a a QAnon supporter, she won her primary in Georgia. So, I mean, it's not like these people are being ignored and they people think that they're crazy like people actually do subscribe to this and it's something that they want to see in political office um so i mean there's there's that element of it there's the fact that trump himself amplifies QAnon accounts on twitter all the time and he makes ref- small references to the QAnon movement i mean a couple of months ago you had ivanka trump and elon musk you know tweeting each other about taking the red pill which is you know a term it's taken from the film from the matrix but it's you know used as a term in QAnon for you know kind of subscribing to this you know seeing what the truth is that's going on in the world by taking the red pill um so like things like that there's also you know a couple of weeks back you know an, an italian archbishop in the vatican wrote a letter to trump and then you know in the letter it spoke about the children of the light and the children of the dark and how trump had to battle against the deep state and these are all references to QAnon. so this conspiracy is deep rooted at this stage this kind of goes into a lot of different facets of society and it's really really starting to bubble up and even recently in in the states with the the protests um the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, we saw there was a video of a QAnon follower destroying a memorial to George Floyd in the US because she believed that his death was staged and that all the protesters were being paid by George Soros, you know. So where does all the distrust come from? Sorry? Where does all the distrust come from? Like, I suppose it feeds into, you know, a lot of people's distrust in institutions and governments in general. And the fact that, you know, you can't, it's very easy to wake up, you know, and read the news and just think that the world is absolutely crazy. And that, you know, and people, I suppose, are looking for an answer as to why all these crazy things are happening. And I suppose when you take all these little threads that QAnon are putting together to certain people, it makes sense. And to Actually, to a lot of people, it seems to make mm. sense, you know. And what are the Irish aspects of it? Like, has it taken root here? And has the language of QAnon come into Ireland and all the slogans that they're using as well? What are they? I mean, thankfully, Ireland, you know, we do tend to be a little bit behind the rest of the world. And I think in things like this. Yeah, exactly. It's great. And I think that we do 
still have an opportunity to really stop this from taking hold here. Um, like when you look on Facebook, there are there are Irish QAnon groups and pages. They have between like 500 and 1,000, you know, members or likes, which is, you know, you know, it's hard to say if all those people are Irish, but I mean, it's still showing that there is support out there for, for this kind of thing. The, you know, the the main kind of ringleaders are the people that you would expect in Ireland are the likes of Gemma O'Doherty and Gran Torino or Rowan Croft. They were kind of the two kind of biggest names that started subscribing to this in Ireland. And the way that you'll you'll notice this in tweets and things like that that come from these people is that they'll use like, like certain hashtags, like the Great Awakening is, you know, what they call people that are, you know, woken up to QAnon or the, the hashtag WWG1WGA, which stands for where we go one, we go all. And like any kind of references to deep state or the globalist cabal, these are things that you that we are starting to see from certain people um, in Ireland. And I mean, Gemma O'Doherty's whole spiel is to sow distrust in institutions that was her MO during the, the lockdown. You know, she. this is going back as far as, or it's going back a long time for her. But, you know, for example, she uses this kind of distrust in anything that the media says to say that, you know, big world events are not even real. Like something like the Christchurch terrorist attack last year. You know, she said that was a hoax. And of course she says that COVID is a hoax and it's all part of this plan. Um, one thing that I noticed uh, kind of early on in lockdown when there were sporadic protests, uh, some of them were uh, orientated around the uh, court case that Jamal Doherty and John Waters were taking um, and others were of their offshoots of their supporters. But there was one on O'Connell Street um, and kind of in looking at, at photos on that, there was the the where we go when we go all on one of the banners and people were talking about those, uh, you know, various Q or Q adjacent, um, I don't know, uh, rhetoric, I suppose. But mm. I, w- I was really surprised to see uh, that leap into real life, um, l- you know, literally on the streets. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, when we were talking to Sarah Kenzier last week and I was making my hypothesis, which I hope won't come true about that because this is because cults are such a particular um, group ecosystem that they can be very hard to break. You know, the delusion goes so deep that it's it's you know, you it's very difficult to counter. And when I saw um, that, you know, that that kind of leap from uh, online into real life, it really made made me concerned. You know, from your work, uh, which you know is very much looking at at all of this stuff, and, and from the organisation that you work for, um, just because people may think, oh, this is just chatter on the internet or whatever, um, it doesn't make it any less worrying or or dangerous. You know, we're hearing these stories all the time about people losing their friends and family members to QAnon, like in the US. Like, is that some, like, should we be concerned about this? Because sometimes it feels that we look at these things bubbling under the surface and don't pay any attention to them. And all of a sudden Trump's in the White House, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, covering your eyes and just saying these people are crazy and we have to, and they, and exactly, they're tinfoil hat heads and they have to be ignored. That might have worked for a while, but I mean, the fact that this is coming so into the mainstream and maybe, again, not necessarily in Ireland yet, but I do believe that it will happen here. That's, and I mean, it is happening, as you say, like people are on O'Connell Street with these, with these kind of signs. But I do believe that it could become more widespread. And you're right in saying that it's such, it's such a catch-22 because people that subscribe to QAnon 
have such a distrust in the media that it's very hard to point them to reliable sources to, to debunk things like this. Um, so, I mean, I think the, the solution really is you have to reach people before they get to that point. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the fact that I think, you know, media literacy and internet literacy should be taught in schools so that, you know, because, you know, I don't know if teenagers, you know, when, when I grew up, I watched the RT news every evening because that's what my parents did. But I'm sure that a lot of people don't do that anymore. So do people know where to get reliable news from? Like, I don't, you know, I really don't think that a lot of people do. And I mean, even, you know, I was joking with my father a couple of weeks ago because, you know, I'm like his personal fact checker and he'll send me over things that he sees on, on Facebook. And I told him that I think he's only, he should only be allowed 30 minutes a day on Facebook anymore because <laughs> he's just getting down these rabbit holes. And I'm, you know, when you become worried about, you know, your family members possibly tripping into this stuff, especially when it's something that I work with every day. I mean, there really, really needs to be a response to this. And I mean, I think it should be part of a, a bigger discussion because QAnon is just one facet of how these kinds of movements can can really, really bubble up online. And then, as you say, suddenly, you know, you're faced with the fact that, you know, a couple of years down the line, we could have someone that gets into the, you know, becomes a TD and subscribes to these kind of um, theories. So I do think that, you know, there is work to be done and it needs to, you know, it needs to start yesterday, really. <laughs> what should people look out for if their family members or friends are sharing certain stuff? Like what are the red flags? And more pertinent, I suppose, is where, if you do realise or discover that people you are friends with or if your family have these beliefs how do you how do you talk how do you what do you do like and like I've had um incidences of this with people I know and I just couldn't fathom how to manage it how to communicate and how to debunk it and it's it's so entrenched in their belief system and in their what they're into you're just it's very hard to manage what would you suggest Mm. Like, I think, you know, like on the online world, like looking out for friends and family members who would subscribe to people like Gemma O'Doherty and, and Gran Torino and people like, like that, that we know that are into those kind of um, like theories and kind of, you know, keeping an eye out for people that are that are sharing that kind of stuff. When it comes to confronting people about it, like I wish I had a, a good answer to it, to be honest, um, because you know, you could say that you should, you know, have reasonable arguments to, to counter their kind of claims. But again, it's just so hard because they do become so entrenched in it. Mm. So I think, you know, keeping an eye out for, you know, any kind of posts that suggest that the entire world has been run by, you know, a small group of people or something like that are definitely things that you need to look out for. Um, what are social media platforms doing to combat this? I mean, th this week, uh, YouTube knocked off, I think it was about 25,000 uh, extremist accounts, let's say. Um, there have been various people, you know, banned from Twitter. Uh, Reddit is undergoing some kind of existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But like, what are they doing about it? Because it does seem that like YouTube in particular has a, a radicalization pipeline that is very, very damaging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, the, the social media companies are definitely, you know, they're running to catch up at this stage when it comes, and especially with the election looming, no one wants to have that, you know, that label on them that Facebook had on them in 2016. So they're all kind of trying to scramble to make sure that doesn't happen now. Um, when it comes to QAnon, though, I do think that a lot of the responses have been a little bit more delayed. 
I mean, for example, Reddit banned the, the, the QAnon subreddit a number of years ago. And that was kind of one of the first big, you know, no, you're not allowed that conversation on this platform that we saw. Facebook have deleted a couple of groups and pages, um, but not in any way to the extent that's, you know, they should be really. Um, when it comes, and you know, yeah, it's very hard for platforms to kind of decide how they, they deal with this stuff. Of course it is. But I mean, they have to also realize that their algorithms are such, they, they play such a big role in this. Like one of the, um, there was a big video that's been kind of circulating for the past couple of months about QAnon and it's called Out of the Shadows. And this video is is demoted on YouTube. So it means like when you type, uh, you, you know, you type out of, out of the shadows into YouTube, you cannot find the, you know, the, the, the original version that was put on YouTube, but still that video has nearly 50 million views. And wow. so it really shows that like they're doing these things, but people are going to find a way around it. Do you know what I mean? And the fact that, that the social media platforms are, um, you know, are, you know, trying to make these moves just plays into the conspiracy even more about censorship and the fact that, you know, they're trying to stop these things from, um, from, you know, being out in the open. Before you go, Aoife, that's been really fascinating. Thank you so much for for your expertise on this. But um, what else are you working on uh, at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue at the moment um, that's hot? Like what else (laughs) should we be fucking terrified about, basically? (laughs) Um, Oh God, where to start? Um, QAnon has actually been a big focus of mine for the past while. So you you caught me in a good time to to talk about it. Um, Like in the US, there's a lot of kind of smaller movements that are coming up. The the Boogaloo movement is one that's getting quite a bit of of traction recently. And it's kind of this call for a second world or second civil war, sorry, in the States. Um, so that that is one that's that's definitely bubbling up. Um, like you know, different kind of like there's you know there's a lot of like anti antifa and anti Black Lives Matter um, kind of theories going around as well. And there's a lot of disinformation going around about Black Lives Matter and obviously wanting to attack that that movement that's going as well. Um, so I mean. That, that would kind of be the, the biggest thing that's kind of going on at the moment. Um, like I am hoping to kind of have a, a deeper look at Ireland and to kind of really see what's going on here um, more specifically. So like, I'll definitely come back to you when, when that happens. Please do. Thank you so much. You can follow Aoife at Aoife Gall, G-A-L-L on Twitter and the organisation she works for ISD Global uh, at ISD Global on Twitter as well. Thanks, Mel Aoife. Keep up the great work and we'll definitely check back in with you again soon. Cheers. for our fave bits my fave bit singular uh, this week is I got a bike so after spending all of lockdown going I really should get a bike because you know I can't drive and you can't like the, all the advice is not to use public transport so I finally got a bike and if you are in Dublin I would highly recommend Little Bikes in Stony Batter I don't know why it took me so long because it is literally approx 45 seconds walk from my house but I just picked out an old frame there that they had and then they just like made this bike up for me and it wasn't expensive relatively and they're just really nice and great. And of course, it's like secondhand bikes, so you're not putting out any new crap into the world. Um, So little bikes, thank you. You are my fave bit this week. I think you did that as your fave bit before, but whatever. I actually... I think you did. Anyway, that's fine. Right, I really well, love your bike. 
<laughs> Thanks. I, I only I got done. it like I got it yesterday, so I can't have done it before. Well, I've heard about little bikes already. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, they are paying me to. No, no, no they're not. <laughs> okay, Andrea, what are your fave bits? That is the second ad for a little bit. <laughs> my fave bits are Trop Pop is back open and it is my fave bit ever. I think I've heard you talk about Tropical Popical before, Andrea, actually. Was that yeah, your fave bits? Because I love it. It's like my <laughs> favorite thing in the world. Um, and we opened with the help of all our new screens from Pink Design, which are leopard print embossed and monstera leaf. So even though we have to live our COVID life, it still looks nice um, because obviously aesthetics are very important to me. So I'm big up to them for making our salon not look skanky. Um, also, my favorite bit is the benches are back outside Le Guillotin. Uh, like it just filled me with so much joy like it's all these little little indicators of the life of normal coming back so you can sit outside La Guillotin it won't be long till we're uh, drinking outside La Guillotin fingers crossed and finally my fave fave bit so obviously COVID has fucking wrecked the buzz on many things but one of those is hotel buffet breakfasts one of the greatest inventions of the world um, and I was having a Twitter conversation with someone about the baked ham you get for breakfast in Balna Hinch oh my god and you carve it yourself stunning I love a hotel breakfast there's nothing I love more because I love experiences of food that are like tapas experiences and I don't mean Spanish because I hate cumin and shellfish <laughs> but more like uh the more like tastes of everything. So that's why it's buffet was my dream because I hate committing to a full plate of the same taste. I want, ooh, a little suggestion of this, a little suggestion of that, maybe an olive here, blah, 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 whatever. So with hotel buffet breakfast, I was devastated. But what I started doing is creating my own on a tray, little buffet breakfast every morning. And um, obviously I'm in Blessington, so I'm clearly looking for things to do, but I am making like a little granola pot with fruit, a little cheese of mozzarella with basil. Then I have my little toast area, maybe a cracker with some Harry's nut butter. And then you just bring it to bed on a tray and eat all these different tastes. And it's the best thing in the world. And um, so like, and I kind of, this can go into a COVID correction as well. God, we didn't think these five bits were going to take so long, did we? Oh, whoops. Uh, but it's also a corona correction because I didn't normally eat breakfast at home because I was always rushing out the door. But now I'm giving myself time to make this full buffet that I bring to my bed um, with my tray, do my bits in bed while wondering how joyous this buffet breakfast is. Why don't you open a cafe that's just a constant uh, breakfast buffet? Well, I wanted to open a cafe and I wanted to call it Finger Me and it was going to be... <laughs> I just be, really don't brand wise. I, I, I just, no, it was going to be amazing because it was going to be all finger food. So you could like it was because I love finger food and like taste the things. And then, as you know, when you go on a ride at an amusement park like Disney World or whatever, and at the end you get the pictures of you mid mid roller coaster. And it's all branded like Disney World. And then you, yeah. you bought. So then I was going to do that. So that mid your dinner, a photograph was taken at you, of you. And when you were leaving the restaurant, there was a board with all the pictures and it was branded. I've been fingered a finger me. And it was you mid dinner. I this can't is believe a, I'm giving my idea away. I can't, can't believe it. I bet you it's going to be done. <laughs> this is a really bad idea. 
Well, like photos of people while they're eating. No, I love that from your like mid flow of chat and like crack. Oh, love it. Anyway, did you know? Um, speaking of amusement uh, rides, that I once got uh, hypnosis treatment to rid me of my fear of roller coasters. <laughs> Seems like a very worthwhile reason to get hypnosis. <laughs> it was for it was for an article I wrote about. Uh, fear. Oh, okay, well, I can understand. It didn't work, by the way. I was I, the I, the Irish Times made me go on a roller coaster um, to see if it worked. It didn't work, and not only that, um, the photographer who was there, who was really excellent, needed loads of different shots of me. So I had to go on the roller coaster three or four times, Lucky. and I had oh. a panic attack uh, oh. in the middle of all of this. Um, it was very bad. So I I am just do I don't like velocity. As oh, a state, give it so. Um, hence the no driving, and I'm going to add it as another fave bit, but it's a far away fave bit. You know, you can do a day trip to Alton Terrace from uh, like uh, just my worst nightmare. Oh my god, we did it! No, here's Go the on. thing though I like fairgrounds, I really love fairgrounds and amusement parks because I like the all the noise and the lights, and everybody's having fun. I also really love fairground games. Um, you know, coconut shies, etc. Go fast, um, go high, go speed. Turn me upside down and give me all that adrenaline. Ah! Do you know another thing that gives me adrenaline at the moment? Watermelon ice pops. There's another <laughs> round tree ones. Oh my God. I am like obsessed with them. They're so delicious. I've just so many favorite bits. I love bits at the moment. Just bits. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that was really fantastic. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, what is the deal? <laughs> the deal is keep your distance back off. Like so many people are getting up in my grill and like, I'm like one way systems. Why are you walking towards me? I'm literally like, fuck off. Uh, keep washing your hands when you come in and wherever you can and use the hand sanitizers. Keep your sneezes contained and practice good respiratory health um, in terms of sneezing and coughing. Um, and also like wear a mask whenever you're inside like it's like I we have to just think and I did a big Instagram post about this like the blind boy did this tweet just about like how the um people who are wearing masks are usually the ones who are really trying not to be infected whereas all the arrogant people going around without masks don't have a worry and are more carefree and think about the people um being afraid to be there and all you have to do is wear a mask to protect them and stop being so fucking selfish so put a mask on I paraphrase there obviously what is this week's tuna chicken roll I'm excited so this came about because there's conversations about dancing starting again in whatever form they are they'll probably be at a brunch and you can only dance at your table but the dancing is coming again the dance will come and there are some events upcoming but for now we have to keep dancing on our own so this week's tuna chicken roll is solo dancing by indiana the joe goddard remix it's an absolute tuna chicken roll i've been una i've been andrea that was q if only that was q and it was gone and we are united darling stay safe
Broken. Mm-hmm. 